Romans chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things, and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds." Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but honor, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the, to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves." who show the work of the law to be written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. If you were with us uh, the last two weeks, you know, Paul doesn't really, um, he doesn't hold back in jumping into this letter to the Romans, does he? Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I know if you've been around me any length of time, I preach exact, whatever the Word says, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to uh, make sure that we understand how it connects to other parts of Scripture. Uh, and we're never going to water anything down uh, in, any, in any way, shape, or form. But the Apostle Paul, if you're, if you're on the Roman end of getting this letter, it, it's pretty much double-barrel shotgun uh, letting... Now, again, they lived in the Roman Empire, which was full of wickedness and decadence and all kinds of, uh, you know, you've got bribery and uh, all kinds of just kind of a society that was out of control in every which way. So it wasn't that they couldn't relate to, hey, this, uh, this, this looks like the realm in which we live, uh, but Paul makes it really clear that the consequences of the way people are choosing to live, and not just the way they're choosing to live, but really, fundamentally, what they're going to do with, with what God says of himself is going to end. You, you see words like wrath mentioned a few times, indignation, anguish, right? These are the kind of words that Paul's using. He's trying to get the point across that um, when we pass from this death or this life into the next, 
if we're not covered by the grace and mercy of God, it's going to be horrific, is what Paul's trying, that's the point he's making. And of course, if you're with us in the first chapter, uh, he outlines uh, really the same thing, but he's speaking to a slightly different group of people here in the second chapter. Uh, different in their own minds more than anything else. Uh, the first chapter, Paul is speaking to what would have been known in the Jewish, uh, Jewish day is that would have been the out-and-out heathen world in, in chapter 1. Uh, these were those that, that would worship false idols. These were those that would have all kinds of immoral practices associated uh, with the worship of false idols. Uh, they would be the ones that uh, they, they really were lawless in every which way and form. Chapter 1. Now, remember, they didn't start out that way. Remember that it talked about that they would, if you're with in chapter 1, they were not thankful, they would not glorify God, and eventually such societies were given over to a reprobate mind, right? So it, and it got to the point where anything goes, violence, immorality, uh, substance abuse, you know, those, all those things uh, would be what you would find in a society where they, they completely reject God altogether. Now, chapter 2, he's speaking more to people who try and, in their minds, live a moral life. And he speaks to both Gentiles that that live a moral life. If you look at someone uh, in in Roman times like Seneca, uh, who would teach about moral values and, and, and family values and things like that, there were some secular kind of voices, even in, in ancient Rome, that actually said, hey, there, there is a moral standard we should live by. You know, it would be good that families had a mom and a dad and they didn't rob each other, right? And things like that. That doesn't mean that, uh, that, uh, that those same people um, rejected the pantheistic gods uh, of Rome. So you, you have that as a major problem because God, the very first commandment, right, deals with you're only going to worship the Lord, right? So uh, it doesn't matter if you have a really good moral code, if you don't worship the Lord and Him only, you've still got a major problem. Would you agree? According to God, I mean, see, so you say, well, I live a really moral life. Yeah, I still worship a pantheon of gods, right? Many gods, a plurality of gods. Uh, or even if you're monotheistic, if you're worshiping the wrong God. Allah is not God, right? Even if you choose Say, why well, we'll have one God, he just won't be the God of the Bible. So you still have a problem there. And then he's talking, of course, to the Jews in Rome, too. You have Jewish people in Rome, you have Jewish people all over the world. Ever since the dispersion, you've got uh, Jewish people that live all over the world, and you've got Jewish people that would have the, the synagogues, and they would actually be, in their minds, good, faithful descendants of Abraham, Right? And in Paul speaking to them as well. Because most Jewish people also would live by a pretty strict moral code, some more than others, just like, uh, just like in, any, in any kind of religious realm, there's people that are the strict adherents, and there's people that are not so adherent. You know, next week, uh, myself and, and Russ and my wife will, will be over in Israel with others. And you know, you got, you got the really strict Orthodox at the Wailing Wall, right? And then you've got kind of a gradient of all the way down to people who don't even believe in the Bible. So you've got uh, this kind of 
uh, group that Paul's speaking to, uh, knowing that, hey, you folks that I'm writing to next, you, you don't consider yourself the out-and-out wild, do anything you want. You actually have some moral code you live by, but Paul's going to make the case that it's still not good enough. And if you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's Word tonight, Impartial Review. Impartial Review. We'll look at three things uh, briefly tonight. Delusion, deliverance, and declaration. Delusion, deliverance, and declaration. Let's look at delusion here to start with. Um, Verse 1, you're inexcusable. Inexcusable. If you look at the previous verse, it talks about uh, those who practice such things are deserving of death. Practice what things? Well, the litany of sins that Paul had itemized back in chapter 1. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not just physical death, but actually the second death. Because he goes and talks about uh, the judgment of God. But it goes on, but we know the judgment of God is according to truth. That those who practice such things, and you think, oh man, you who judge these things, uh, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Question mark, rhetorical question. Paul said, do you really think you'll escape the judgment to come? Now, Paul is writing to believers, and this is a letter that they can then read to their unsaved friends and neighbors. But do you really think, Paul's like, do you really think you'll escape if you do the same things? Well, Here's the thing, they don't think they do the same things. We'll get through this. So mankind is born, all of us, every one of us here, we were born to human mothers, we were all born on a path to utter destruction. When we were born, we were born on a road to destruction. Uh, we saw in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed to mankind. We were born in sin in essence, we were drowning as soon as we were born. Make sense? Probably a better way to understand it is we weren't technically drowning like we're going straight down, but it would be more like, you know, if you got marooned at sea, and uh, provided it wasn't kind of like the waters of the North Atlantic where the Titanic went down, where you had less than a minute or so, I think it was up, maybe up to two for some people, but, you know, give or take, uh, but if you were in, in Caribbean waters, uh, how long could you doggy paddle before, if no one came to get you and you have nothing, you weren't drowning immediately, but it's imminent, right? And that's where, and that's where, we, we, where all of us are unless Jesus comes and throws the life raft to us, right? Or throws the life preserver to us. So we're all born on this path of destruction. We're all born in a condition we can't get ourselves. We can't, if you're out in the middle of the Caribbean Sea and you don't have a life preserver, you can't manufacture one. You can't dream one up. You, can't, you need someone to intervene. Matthew 7, 13 says, For wide is the gate and broad is the way to lead destruction. There are many who go in by that. If we resist God's continuous, you know, His whole of creation, the gospel, him sending out prophets in the, old, uh, in the ancient times, sending out uh, believers all into the world, uh, the church that he has established. And, but he's constantly sending you know, detour and U-turn signs 
to all of mankind. Don't go that way. Don't go. You guys have heard me many times when I was when I was still uh, working at Microsoft. One of my coworkers <laughs> said to me, "Did you send anyone to hell this weekend?" And I would remind him, which seemed like for the fiftieth time to me, I cannot send people to hell. I can only tell them they don't have to go there. I can warn them they don't have to go there. But at some point, if we ignore all those, the final penalty to our resistance, back on verse 32 of the first chapter, will be death, that second death, that eternal separation from the Lord. Now, if you look at verse 1, you are inexcusable. The fact is, all without Christ... As Lord and Savior, everyone that does not have Jesus Christ right now, right here today, as Lord and Savior, their lives are inexcusable when measured against God's holy standard. Right? Inexcusable. Paul could use any word. This is the word he uses. But to believe otherwise, if you think, oh, I I don't agree with that, it's just delusional. Right? You could see, many people say, I don't agree with that. God's like, you're wrong. They're like, I don't think I am. God's like, you are. They're like, I still don't think so. God's like, I'll see you soon. And you'll know that I was right and you were wrong. To think anything other than what Paul said is delusional. You're deluding yourself. Remember that Paul already talked about it. People would rather believe a lie. Isaiah 66, 14 says this, Old Testament. So I will choose, listen to what the word of the Lord says, I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose in that which I do not delight. Choice after choice after choice after choice. Just like the term pro-choice, it is a choice, isn't it? It's a choice to say, I disagree with what God says. I disagree with the grace he offers. I disagree with the mercy he offers. I disagree with what he says to be true. I think this is true. Paul's like, When you meet the Lord, if you stay in that condition, you'll be inexcusable. You won't have an excuse that will actually hold any water. God says, I'll send their delusions. Now, God doesn't cause people to sin. He doesn't really, he doesn't create delusions. People want delusions. And God says, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. Right? Same principle if your kid is asking for you know, they've asked, asked, and asked, and asked, and asked. Can, you know, can I have a third cookie? Can I have a third cookie? Finally, he says, all right, go ahead. Later, their stomach's hurting, right? They're wondering why you let them do it. Because now you know. But God will do the same with a world that actually rejects and rejects and rejects and chooses not to hear. Second Thessalonians 2.11 says, For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. The lie. See the same lie in, in Romans chapter 1. Now the, the lie comes in different shapes and forms. But the lie is always... The wrapper still looks a little bit different. But the lie is always that God is not 
telling you the truth. It's a, it's a lie actually calling God a liar. Satan did it in the Garden of Eden. We talked about that before. And so this lie that, yeah, I know that God says that. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're better than the next guy. You're living a good moral life. Though inexcusable, it's precisely people's excuses and their self-standards of uh, right and wrong that gives people a false sense of security. It's not an excuse, but their, their, their view of themselves gives them a false sense of security. They're not realizing that with each and every day, it's not that God is well-pleased that he hasn't brought judgment on everyone. It's that he's long-suffering, right? Because a lot of times people will get that, well, God must be happy with me because I seem to be doing pretty well. I'm healthy. I've got a good job. Uh, we have three kids and a dog, right? God must be pretty happy with me. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I, I, it's been a long time since I've uh, watched some of the award shows because I, I just couldn't take them. But every now and then I've watched for a second of them, and you'll see somebody who's just done, they, 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 maybe they were in one of the most nasty movies, and they get up and they start thanking God. I'm like, something's wrong here. Your God can't possibly be the same God as I have come to know. I'm sure there's a God out there that's well pleased with what you did or said or the dance you just performed, but it, it surely isn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? We've all heard that. People's own standards because they're not receiving judgment, they don't think it's coming. That's like saying, because I'm not dead, I don't think I'm going to die. Right? It's silly concept. Just because you have an experience, it doesn't mean it's not coming. But they're not treasuring up. Look at verses 4, 5, and 9. Or you do despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads to repentance? God's, God, God uses many means to bring people to repentance. One of those is his goodness. It's not the only thing. But in accordance with the hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself. Now, Jesus told us to lay up treasure too, didn't he? In heaven. Here, Paul's saying those that believe themselves to be morally right, in spite of what God says, are treasuring up for themselves wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment. And in verse 9, it tells us tribulation and anguish on every soul who does evil, Jew and Greek. Makes no distinction. God's impartial here. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. Some Jewish people thought they were good to go because they had the blood of Abraham running through their veins. They were automatically good. So they could do as much evil as they wanted to or live by just the Judaic uh, law. Maybe you'd, be, maybe you'd do better, but either way you'd be okay. But instead, that's, they're not treasuring up. A lot of people that are working really hard to, to put away money in the 401k or the IRA or whatever else, stock market, and they're treasuring up things. And I'm going to someday, you know, this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible, the rich man who finally had his barns all filled up, ready to, and God says, you fool, your soul is required of you. Didn't even get a chance to enjoy them. 
But um, they're not treasuring up stuff. They're not going to take anything with them into eternity. The pharaohs tried this, didn't they? Put everything in the pyramid, and I'll get to take it with me. Uh, the Chinese emperors tried the same thing. Put it all in there. Put, them, put a bunch of terracotta soldiers in there that will take care of me in the afterlife. All that stuff eroded, was either robbed, sits in museums today, is still being excavated. Their bodies, on the other hand, are usually piles of dust and bone. The other stuff's still there if it wasn't carted away or eroded. That's delusional. It's delusional to actually think that I know what the... I know what creation says. I know what the gospel says. Now, I realize that not everyone has heard the gospel. Paul addressed that back in chapter 1, that God will bring conviction through the conscience, which he readdresses here again, uh, because he knows that there's Gentiles around the world that live fairly moral lives. You know, missionaries have gone to places, and where they get to, uh, the native people there sometimes are wildly hedonistic, other times, they actually have a good, solid social structure, you know, where you know the people are. Uh, if if they steal from each other, there's going to be penalties. Where the uh, they have what we consider a nuclear family with a mother and father, and so. But Paul already says, look, no matter whether you have heard the law or the gospel, you still have the conscience, and you still have the evidence of creation. This delusion of destination, it's a delusion of a self-created standard. It's the, delusion, it's the delusion that God cannot or will not or does not actually judge each and every soul. A lot of people in America believe this now. A lot of people in America don't believe that, you know, if there, if there is the God of the Bible, he'll look at most of the things that I've done and, and say, you did pretty good. Right? I mean, that's an opinion, but it's not at all what the Scriptures say. The irony is that people's day-to-day lives, in people's day-to-day lives, even though they would disagree, many people will disagree with the Scriptures, they would say, uh, the Ten Commandments, take them off the wall. Right? Remember in the Alabama schools, get them off the wall. We don't need that in the school. Get the Bible out of the school. We don't need that stuff. We don't really. Uh, the, the Bible, it's very narrow-minded. It needs to be modernized for today's society. All these things that people will say. And if you read anything, you'll see everything that I just said is on a regular basis, paraphrased one way or the other. And yet the people that actually would say that they don't believe in the Bible or don't uh, believe the Bible is relevant, but they do believe in God. You'll hear that a lot. I believe in God, but just not the Bible. Where do you think he comes from? Where do you think we learned about him? Where do you think he tells us about himself? He doesn't come from the Bible, but I mean, that's where we learn about what God says of himself. But many people, even though they reject everything that God says, and they reject that God would ever judge people and send them to hell, the irony is their day-to-day lives kind of bear witness the image of God, and they constantly judge others. 
don't they? We're guilty of it too as Christians. That needs to go less and less in our life and and less and less uh, let God be the one to to judge. But, uh, But people judge each other all the time, often with contempt, disdain, cynicism, while they give themselves a free pass or they redefine their own actions. You don't believe it, just watch politicians. Right? They're, they're an easy target. There's actually some good ones out there, I know. But, but redefining their own actions or giving themselves a free pass while assigning to other people all kinds of evil monikers, right? So-and-so is a liar. So-and-so uh, wants people dead. So-and-so uh, wants to steal the bread right out of your mouth. You know, all these kind of things, and these, these things, if, if they were true, they're pretty evil, aren't they? Right? But not realizing that their own personal judgments, that which you condemn, you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Not realizing their personal judgments, they go into the case file against themselves. See, God's going to judge even the secret thoughts, isn't he? Right? Everything. Now, if it's on public record, if it was tweeted, if it was emailed, doesn't matter to God. He already has all those records. He doesn't need anyone's input. He has everything that anyone's ever said. So these things go into their own indictment. They're storing up evidence against their own life. Notice the indictment. They practice the same in verse 1. In verse 3, doing the same. Practice the same, doing the same. Hypocrites love to point out hypocrites. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me since I've been saved. Thankfully, it's not too many, but I've certainly had a few times where people say, there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. I had one last week. I was talking to an unsaved guy, sharing the gospel with him. I said, you're right. You and me are right there with him, aren't we? Said, We're ever, I said, you know everyone in the world ever born as a hypocrite? Everyone. Everyone has feigned something that they actually weren't and then pointed a figure at somebody else for the exact same thing. Everyone. School children know how to do it, right? So-and-so is really mean. You just saw him bite a kid or something like that, right? Hypocrites love to point out liars. Liars hate being lied to, don't they? Thieves often become violent when someone steals from them. Odd, huh? If thievery is not a big deal, why do you care if I steal from you? Well, I'm allowed to steal, you're just not allowed to steal from me. It, business is this way too. I have, you know, I spent 16 years in the business world, and I would see people do dishonest things. And then, as soon as someone did something dishonest, oh, the the car ride of cursing, and you can you believe, and bleep, bleep, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, thinking to myself, two days ago, I heard you, you know, <laughs> I, I don't say, I would, I would just kind of think in my mind, like, 
But it's deeper than that. It's even deeper than that. The same sin often has a different look to man's perspective, but not to God's. Not to God's. God looks at sin differently. There's the physical act of sin, but then there's also the mental approval of it. Or even experiencing it in the mental realm, but not in the physical realm. Today's environment, I would argue, allows more people at any time, and more than at any other time in history, today's environment allows people to actually participate in sin that they are not participating in. Right? Or at least they think they're not participating in. Because there's the practicing and then there's the doing. And a lot of times they're saying, I'm not doing that. I just love to watch it. Right? I'm not doing that. I just like to listen to it on my iTunes or whatever. I don't, I don't do those things. But boy, do I love a show about it. Right? <coughs> not participating. TV, internet, music, virtual participation uh, is complete approval. In, in and Jesus made this clear even in his day. He said, you know, it didn't, it's one thing, you've heard it said that adultery is sin. I tell you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. I've told, I've told men that I've talked to before that were, uh, these are, I've told Christian men that, uh, that were using something like pornography. I said, huh, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you are committing adultery. Now, there's a lot of pastors that won't tell you that. They'll actually call it pornography. I said, but if you can find that word in the Bible, show it to me. You can't find it, can you? But you can find adultery. So what in the world would you call it? You'd have to call it what God calls it, right? And so it's just one example, no matter what it is, but we live in a society today where, again, um, you know, one of the saddest things that I ever heard, uh, I, was at, um, I was at one pastor's conference, and, and I think it was one of our Calvary pastor's conference, and they had, we had ended up using, uh, we had ended up using a, a conference center or a hotel that had been used by a, another denomination, uh, and they had, uh, I don't know how, but they had told us that the previous denomination, uh, that something like 60% of the rooms ordered X-rated movies. And you're like, and these were guys that were, it wasn't the Calvary guy. I'm not saying that there's not Calvary guys out there that made they're very well, I'm sure there is, and uh, sadly that's the case and everywhere, but it was a high percentage. Horrible, isn't it? But to get up and then preach about it, like, uh, you know, God would say, but you practice the same thing. You can't say one thing and live another. God will look at the real record of our life, not the not the record that everybody sees. God says, I, I, I know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Christians, we have to be care- careful. We have to truly not... I mean, we live in a culture where so many things today are the norm that are not biblical, that are not scriptural, that are sin, that we can actually drift. You know, Lot did this. Remember Lot, he pitched his tent towards Sodom? And it wasn't that long before much of his lifestyle looked like Sodom. 
Now, he didn't do all the stuff that they did, but he lived an approving life, didn't he? And we have to be very careful to cut out, to remove things. And, and this is why you have to spend time in God's Word. You have the Holy Spirit that will actually convict you. Anyone ever been convicted of something? Say, man, we've got to stop this or cut this out. We have. Just today, my wife, our girls, um, they got some books from the library. And cute little books on the cover, all three of them. Uh, I won't say the name of it, but uh, three, three little books, children age books, written for, um, and my wife said, look at this. And so they would insert things into the book. Like uh, The little child said something like, um, uh, it was inserted in there. They did a pretend ceremony. We'll sacrifice to the gods. Just insert it in there, right? And then there was another one where um, it, it was something similar to that where it would talked about um, we will... Uh, uh, brew a spell and cast it. And then there was another one where um, it said, in blood will come out. It, you, strange little things that just slipped in there. I said, let me see these authors. One from the West Coast, one from New York. Great. No. <laughs> so I looked at I said, I said, I, I would almost bet you anything that both of these authors, both women, because I went through, and there was something in each book. And then the girls, one of, the, one of her bathrobes was wearing like these stars and half moons and stuff like that. And I said, I would almost bet you that both of these women are somehow either a New Age or a cultic-type religion. Guarantee it. I said, and they've inserted it into. And I said, we have to be careful to get that stuff out because the enemy is trying to deceive that a moral, because the books are pretty moral but they're not godly. They're not what God would say. This um, observe what was prevalent in Paul's day and still alive today about the law. He talks about, for as many have sinned without the law will perish without the law, as many have sinned with the law will be judged by the law. For not hears the law are just the sight of God. Verse 13, but doers of the law. Now, there's less of this today than when I was, I'm, I'll be 44 this week, when even if I go back 20, 25 years ago, uh, it was very, very common here in the Bible Belt, if you spent time in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the, through the Bible Belt, very, very common ideology, even I guess would be some people's theology. <laughs> it's not it's not proper theology, but that if you asked Jesus into your heart, you were good. You could live any way you want the rest of your life, but Grandma remembers when you actually asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, right? And so no matter what you did after that, you were good. I remember that you got baptized. But my unsaved friends who have never been baptized, they actually are a little holier than me. Yeah, well, they're still going to hell, but you're not. Why not? Because you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, right? And that, Paul debunks that. The Old Testament, Ezekiel debunks that. Many places in the New Testament debunk that as well. Our salvation is based on repentance and saving faith, right? 
not lip service, those that you're not, you're not justified by being a hearer of the law say, look, I grew up in the temple. I grew up in a synagogue. I grew up with Jewish parents. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. You other heathen Gentiles will all go to hell. And Paul's like, look, if I didn't come to Christ, Paul was a Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees, Jew of Jew, right? If Paul didn't come to Christ, Paul was going to hell. Not because he was a Pharisee, not because he believed the law. The law isn't good enough. Church-going people, sadly, many church-going people will go where? To hell. Many church-going people. Now, this is less of a this is less of a discussion in America today because sadly, we live in a postmodern or post-Christian era in America. I truly believe most people I talk to either truly believe the Bible is true, most. There is still this gray area where people have this theology. It still exists. It's still a sizable number, but it's been dropping. Most, for the most part, people either completely reject the Scriptures today or they receive them and accept them. Most people today uh, that you meet, if they are not in church, don't give any credence to the Bible whatsoever and don't think a born-again experience was ever necessary in the first place. But what, 20 years ago, you would meet a lot of people that would tell you, yeah, I'm born again, and they could live... You remember they were the, the Saturday night honky-tonk and back in church on Sunday, right? And Paul had... This was not new. This was, this was uh, prevalent in his day as well. And then even though there's less of that today, you'll still run into, especially when you get into more rural areas in America, that's, that theology still exists in some places where people think that. Uh, and it is true that if you, are, if you truly are saved, yes, you will not lose your salvation. But if you're truly saved, old things are passed away, behold, all things are becoming new. Right? So it is true that once saved, always saved, but that's based on there was a work of regeneration, there was a work of conversion, and then you're no longer under the law anyway. You're under grace. But the law is then written on the tablets of your heart because God still loves the law. Jesus fills it up. doesn't get rid of it. What about deliverance? There's a beautiful, there's a beautiful entry here by Paul in verse 7. Even though judgment even though condemnation, even though hell is what will happen to those who have their own standard of righteousness and refuse to believe what God says. Look at verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Verse 8, but those who are self-seeking do not obey the truth. By inference, those in verse 7 actually do obey the truth. And then verse 10, but honor, glory, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Just like God is impartial in condemnation, he's also impartial in salvation, right? Just like the Jew and the Gentile, both that are living opposed to God, will receive the penalty, condemnation of hell. All those, both those are Jewish, both Gentile, receive salvation. And you see, Paul talks more about the fruit of their life than the actual salvation or conversion experience. Why do I say that? Well, look, he says eternal life. Now, that's the sal- eternal life. That is what you get with salvation. We're saved from something. Whenever I hear 
people tell me, like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon tries to explain to me uh, for the umpteenth time when I've talked to them uh, about the fact that, uh, uh, no, uh, there's no eternal judgment in hell. And I ask them the question again, so why do you suppose Jesus would let himself be nailed to a cross, tortured, and die when there's nothing to save us from? Because the wrath, Paul tells us why, the wrath of God was poured out on who? God's own son. So I wouldn't have to, so you wouldn't have to experience God's wrath. Instead, verse 7, we receive eternal life instead of eternal punishment. But those who by patient continuance in doing good. Now that's the fruitful walk in a life. Once you say, you're saved, you're not saved by good work, but you're saved what? Unto good works. So your life will be doing good for glory and honor of who? The Lord and immortality. Immortality. I mean, the whole world looked once immortality. I mean, remember they were looking for the fountain of youth. I mean, everyone wants immortality. And God says, I give immortality. You're actually all are immortal. It's whether you're going to live in heaven or in hell. Never going to die again in the sense of your, your soul's going to live forever somewhere. But this immortality would be eternal life, not eternal death. And then in verse 10, honor and peace. I mean, who doesn't want peace? Honor and peace to everyone who works what is good. You can't make yourself work what is good. God has to do it through us. But it, I mentioned earlier, saving faith. Galatians 3, 3.11, the just will live by faith. What's the first act of faith for a Christian? It's back in verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed, in chapter 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Believe is faith. For everyone who believes. God says, this is what you must do to have eternal life. Most people say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'll do it my way. And God says, but if you believe, I'll change and transform your life and You'll have eternal life, and you'll be saved unto good works prepared before the foundation of the earth. All of that comes with the first work of faith, and that's to believe the gospel. Paul mentions the gospel here again. He says, my gospel. He's not saying it's his gospel. He's saying the gospel that God has entrusted me to go preach. But the first act of faith, and then with that act of faith, our whole life, the just live, now our whole life is lived by faith walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we've, we end up finding that we have peace and we have, uh, Lord gives us honor in his favor. Romans six seventeen. Paul will later write when we get to the sixth chapter, but, th- but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Just like if you're out in the Caribbean Sea, you're drowned, you were... You're toast. There's no, there's no opportunity unless God... If you were a slave, you could not free yourself if you were a slave. Somebody would have to intervene on your behalf. Remember when Joseph was in the dungeon? Could he free himself? No. Pharaoh had to actually release him. And this is what the Lord does us. We're in total slavery, total darkness, total bondage, but we're delivered. And we're not just delivered. We're delivered now to walk a holy and righteous life. Paul would later write to the Philippians that we live spotless and 
pure and a crooked and perverse world. Now, we couldn't manufacture that in ourselves because Paul also write later in Romans that nothing good dwells in us. So it has to be Christ living through us. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It's an external work. Deliverance comes from God. But His deliverance comes when we what? We believe what He says. The essence of every single thing that Paul is writing is, will the world believe God or will the world believe the lie that Satan offers? And the lie is, and a lot of times Satan, you've heard it, one of the lies that Satan has is, all right, the Bible is true, but just do, the, do it later. Wait till you're 50. 50 is boring. Do it at 50. That's what he tells you when you're like 20. Now you get to 50s. Hey, 50 is fun. Right? Can be. But either way, if, if Satan will use whatever it takes for, you know, all right, okay, so you actually think this is true, but you're not ready to submit, right? No? Do it later. All part of the same lie. Because God also says that no man knows, right? You don't know when your end could be. So, to tell someone to, to wait puts them in a very precarious position. Ephesians 2, 12-13, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. By His blood. The gospel. R.A. Torrey said, I am ready to meet God face to face tonight and look into those Eyes of infinite holiness, for all my sins are covered by the atoning blood. That's the deliverance. To believe on the blood of Jesus, to believe in the gospel, to believe and turn. And true belief is with the lips and with the heart, and it's a turning from sin. And those of you who are born again, you, you can look back and say, wow, God has done a new work in me. I I now want to please Him. I now want to serve Him. I now believe things that I, I, I know some of you, I've known some of you long enough that I knew you at times when you didn't believe some of these things. You thought that they didn't make scientific sense or they didn't, uh, they didn't make logical sense or this, that, and the other. And then once you got on the other side of the two-way mirror, God says, isn't it silly you doubted me? And you see, how does, how does everyone not see this? Right? Last, uh, last section, briefly, declaration. We don't need to spend much time on this one anyway, but um, verse 16, it tells us, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men, by who? By Jesus Christ. The same name taken as a swear word by people that actually, I've, I've had people, you've had people that tell you that, uh, it, it always makes me cringe worse when I'm around church-going people that use Jesus' name in vain. Oh. And I've, I've worked with people that were deacons that used both God and Jesus' name in a swear word on a regular basis, and it was like fingers on a chalkboard for me. Now, it's bad enough with anybody, but I re- it really just... Uh, 
when you have people that truly, oh yeah, church every Sunday. Sad, isn't it? But those aren't even the secret thoughts. Those are the out in the open. People can declare themselves, Paul addresses, people can declare themselves as a good person. They can declare themselves as better than the guy beside them or the lady beside them. They can be, in their own mind, open-minded. They can be religious. They can be, in their own mind, high character, honest, dependable. My good outweighs my bad. Right? Sound familiar? Ray Comfort gives the analogy often that, you know, a guy has committed a murder, it's caught on camera, standing before a judge, and he tells the judge, I know I did that, but if you look at most of my life, my good, all, I have done so many good deeds. You'll let me go, right? Right? I helped a lady off the street. You know, your good never outweighs your bad. It's definitely not against God's holy standard. Jesus' declaration when we stand before him is all that's going to matter. Our declaration won't, won't count for anything at that time. I remember when I was uh, uh, 10 years ago, I, I had an interim position. I was acting manager for a, a pretty good-sized group, and, and I, was, I was actually interviewing for it. And it was an internal his internal uh, interview process, and uh, I had actually great results during that time. There was five other peer managers, and all five of them, all five of them said, Tim should be made hiring manager, case closed. But the hiring manager said, no, <laughs> chose somebody else. It didn't matter what everyone else thought. Buck stopped at a certain point, Actually, uh, funny, it has nothing to do with the, the text of tonight, but uh, I really believe I lost that because of my stand for Jesus Christ. I, it, it was all about, uh, because I spent like I spent two hours with that hiring manager. I knew him, and he was not comfortable with my walk with Christ. I could tell, I could tell in the car ride, I said, this is, this is over. Lord, I mean, just get, like I got on the plane and headed back, and I knew... The Lord had just already confirmed, you're not going to Texas. That's where I was supposed to go. And, and I just knew it. But in a principle of final decision, it's kind of a poor analogy, but Jesus will be the final. It, that you could bring a hundred people to your defense and say, will you vouch for me? Will you vouch for me? Will you vouch for me? And Jesus said, they can't help you. It was, what did you do? with my testimony of myself, and you didn't agree. And Paul would say, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you think you're moral, whether you're the you know, most live-any-way-you-want person, Paul's like, that declaration will be guilty. Inexcusable, O oh man. Judgment day, verse 16, God will judge the secrets of men according to the gospel. According to the gospel. Acts 10.42, the 
Listen to what it says about Jesus. He was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus, ordained by the Father to be the judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 1 Peter 4.5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Three times, New Testament, same thing is said in Acts, 2 Timothy, 1 Peter 4.5. And then in Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I have the keys to death and hell. He has the keys. People that, you know, I'm going to go party there with my friends. You can't get in if you wanted to. But you can be thrown in. Jesus has the keys. He's the one that will, he'll be the judge. It's a sad reality. You know, Paul is writing, what Paul is doing here in Romans, we come to, as we come to a close, Paul is setting the stage that the whole world is guilty so then he can actually show why grace has to be preached, has to be understood, and you'll need to understand it even after you're saved. Just as much you need to understand grace after salvation, we don't have time to get into that tonight, we're going to continue to go through the book of Romans, and you'll see that Paul will lay the case that all of the world, the mouths of the world is shut up before God, and once our mouths are quiet, God can teach us something and reveal something to us and actually bestow those that will say, yes, Lord, you are true, I have believed a lie. Those of us that will receive that truth, believe upon that truth, can receive the deliverance that we see in this same chapter. But the rest, we'll look in, in chapter, when, you, when we get to chapter 3, uh, Paul will actually defend God's right to, do, to judge. Let's close in prayer.